Hey, all you wonderful people. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Just a couple of housekeeping things right at the top here for you. We're talking with my friend Chris, who's currently doing his MD, PhD. I messed that up. I messed it up in the podcast. So let's get that one straightened out the way here. We talk about a professor that lost her job for her scientific findings. Essentially, her research was being funded by a big corporation. The results she published weren't favorable to that corporation. The university sought fit to fire her because, well, she's not bringing in thousands and thousands of dollars. I couldn't find her case specifically, but I did find a load of other professors that have been let go from positions because they've published research that wasn't really favorable to the big corporation. We talk about racism, especially that in Winnipeg. I've never been to Winnipeg, full disclosure. Heard it's a wonderful place. I eventually will go there one day. We talk about this McLean's article that was released that got a whole lot of backlash. And it's great because I listened to a podcast called Canada Land. It's done by Jesse Brown, and it's a media criticism podcast. I know that doesn't sound very fun and engaging, but trust me, it's a really good podcast. I get a huge part of my opinion on that podcast from what he says about it, and it's just a really great podcast. So listen to that one after this one, of course. If you don't know what a medical journal is, basically it's a publication that publishes medical research. And there's a lot of them, but not all journals are created equal. Some of them are more reputable. And if you can get to those ones, your research is more widely seen. Um, there's also, you could also be seen as more reputable, which in turn can get you more money. There's an entire system of the way medical journals are graded. We get into what that is all like. About midway through the podcast, we kind of feel like we're wrapping up. Then I magically remember that I can upload bigger files to the website, which is orinwilliamson.com. In the movie Home Alone, Kevin McAllister's recording device is called a Talkboy. I nail that, I think, in the podcast, but just to make sure it is called a Talkboy. Without further ado, here's my podcast with Chris. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I was just told that I, I look terrible in a hat. Um, so. No, no, it's not what I said. So your fashion tip of the week is just to be conscious of never wearing a hat. That's kind of the general rule. Baseball caps, sure, represent your team. The second you try and pull off a fedora, you're probably going to fail at it. Not that many people look at it. Is your name Frank Sinatra? Do you smoke hand-rolled cigarettes? Then don't wear a fedora. And if you do, you can probably end up looking worse. So that's the fashion tip of the week this week. Don't wear any hats unless someone has given you multiple compliments and they're a reputable source. Your mom and your girlfriend both don't count. I'd just like to say I was wearing a fedora and uh, I've had I've had multiple comments uh, compliments. So I, <laughs> see, I, see, that's the thing though. You aren't wearing a you aren't wearing a fedora. You're wearing a Panama hat. You're wearing a hand woven hat that looked great. Okay. Yeah, it looked great on you. Right. Yeah. So I you. Saw it, you felt it, you put it on, like, oh, this is good. You didn't just go out and buy it because you felt like you needed it, right? Yeah, I didn't get it from H&M. See? It wasn't worth $2, so. Yeah, so the hat you're wearing, what'd you pay for your hat? Uh, I'd like to not disclose that. Come on. No. Okay, it's a nice hat. Give me a range. It was a couple hundred dollars. See? So, wait, you're not going to disclose that you paid a couple hundred bucks for a hat? I feel like that's a lot of money for a hat. People pay like... It's like 300 bucks for a pair of Jordans. That's true. So I, I think you're okay with wearing a hat. And plus, you can wear a hat whenever. That's Jordans, true. if you get them dirty, you're like, ah, I just blow a ton of money. Yeah, it's my boating hat. <laughs> it's your boating hat. I don't own a hey, boat. Hey, white guy. Hat. Get right. this going. I got you on the podcast, Chris, because uh, you're, you're in a pretty interesting field, and you're doing something kind of cool within it. Uh, but I want to talk to you because you obviously know more about that. And that's in, you're doing an MD, P, 
PDHD. So for those who don't know, maybe explain exactly what that is. Uh, MD, PhD. What did I say? You said P-A-H-D. I don't know what that is, but it <laughs> sounds cool. I'd like, I'd like to know what that, more about it. I meant, to say, me. I meant to say MD, P-A-A-A-H-D. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an MD, PhD is a program that people that go into medicine, the ones that think they haven't done enough school, uh, means that they can do more school. So instead of doing 15 years of school, they can do 20. So <laughs> it's, it's a program for people that are completely crazy. Um, no, so it's it's basically a combined program of medicine and PhD. So it's a research program. So you do two years of medicine, or I guess depending on where you are, and then you do stop and you do a PhD, so a research proportion of it, and then you go back and you do the rest of your your medicine. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to breed clinician scientists, so doctors that also do research. And so far, which which phase are you in it? Uh, I am currently trying to finish my PhD and go back to medicine. However, it's it's a it's proving to be harder than I thought it was going to be. So let's we'll get to that in a second, just so everyone has okay. a breakdown. First two years are actual med school, yep. right? You're in the books. The next three years, two years, two, two years, two years, yep. is almost all research. And when it almost oh, all, oh, you mean of the PhD? Yes, yeah. So where from? So my program. Uh, it's three years. Some universities are five years. Some universities are four years. Okay. Uh, mine's three years. So you're you're strictly in the lab doing research. You're not learning about medicine. You're not learning about anything. You're learning about whatever you're doing research about. And at the end of that, you do your dissertation or your thesis, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. You kind of you do that kind of while you're back to medicine. So that's kind of why it's such a hard program to do because you're trying to do med school. You're trying to work 100 hours a week, but you're also trying to write a thesis and you're trying to defend a thesis. So it kind of is for crazy people. It is. It's 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 for the faint of heart. Um, in my program, there's only one out of 110 people that do it a year. So it's <laughs> not a very popular thing to do. Uh, it's either really hard, and no one wants to do it. And they actually they pay you in dog food. So you know, oh, like, that's, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's so I know, good. Right? Um, but you're 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 excited to get back to the last two years of the actual med school. But because you're in that portion, we're kind of overlaps between your PhD and your last two years your md it's kind of hell it's it's not very fun yeah i mean it's a lot of just like trying to figure out if i have enough time to get back and uh and it's just there's you know you got to write a 300 page thesis and it's just a big chunk of work and you want to get it done before you go back to med school because you know all of a sudden you're working you know 50 hours a week 100 hours a week you don't have any time to think about writing a phd so is it worth it uh i think it's worth it a lot of people would say it's not Everyone has a different answer for that. Um, what are the pros and cons? Uh, so the pros of it are that you have a PhD. So if you do want to do research when you're a doctor, then you have a PhD. You have that research. Um, it also gets you can get a uh, – it usually helps in getting a residency spot when you go to specialize after you've done medical school. Um, and it'll help you get a, a job at the end. Like the job market now for doctors is uh, not the best, depending on what specialty you're in. So it always helps if you have a PhD because a lot of people like to have graduate school when do you when you get a job. And also allows you to teach as well if you wanted to. And it allows you to teach, yeah, and but, do research. And now uh, the big cons. So I can probably list them for you. <laughs> the biggest cons: um, you have to do three years on top of your four years of medicine, and then you do your residency. So you're three to five years more, um, you get paid a, a terrible wage. Um, if you do your PhD during residency, you get paid like 
fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. Whereas if you do it when I'm doing it, you get paid a lot lower um, in the twenty thousand a year range. Um, and sometimes when you do your PhD and you don't know what specialty you want to go into, you might, you know, like for me, I'm going to have a PhD in neuroscience, but I, you know, I want to do plastic surgery. So it's like, I feel like it still helps so though. No? It absolutely still helps. The, the skills you learn in graduate school are helpful anywhere. And, uh, you know, like public speaking, um, research, stuff like that. So it still helps, but you know, it would help more. If, if was, you know, if I was a specialist in my field of, you know, that I have research in. So um, in the end, in the end, do you feel like you're contributing to a larger body of science or do you mostly feel like uh, unless somebody else comes on to this, it kind of feels like a giant waste of time? doesn't feel like a giant waste of time. I don't know how to describe research. It's like you have these moments where you're like, oh, this is really going to change things. And then you have these moments where you're just like, man, like this isn't going to change anything. You know what I mean? Research is kind of one of those things where, especially I do cancer research, and it's one of those things where, you know, 30 years ago, everybody was excited about one thing, and then, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to cure cancer with this, and then it doesn't pan out the way it is. And it just, it kind of keeps, it keeps playing that over and over, you know, we kind of find something that we think we're really interested in, you know, it's going to be this great thing, and then it kind of, everybody gets excited about it, everyone throws a ton of money on it, but then it doesn't really pan out. Um, so you kind of got to be a little bit humble when you're doing research because you know that, you know, you're probably not going to cure cancer, but the research that you do might someday be used by someone else that might, you know, have a big impact on the world. I shouldn't say cure cancers because you can't cure cancer. Cancer is not a disease itself, but, um, it's a whole nother subject. We kind of talked off air about like possibly that sometimes when you do research, it turns to be a giant waste of money, but is that, is that something you can predict? Like if, like now that you're in it, can you see some of the programs that oh, maybe we shouldn't throw enough? Maybe we're throwing too much money at this, or we're not throwing enough money at this. Is that, uh, is, is that predictable in a way? It's not predictable. Um, the way that science is going nowadays, though, it's it's going more from just doing basic science just to learn stuff. So a lot of the old school researchers they just did science for the for the sake of it, just to learn things. Nowadays, a lot of the funding agencies, and if you're going to, you know, get a million dollar, two million, five million dollar grant, these these funding agencies want to see some sort of return on investment. So they actually want to know, you know, you actually have to be able to translate some of that research into something. So they're not just giving you money just for the sake of giving you money and doing science anymore. So you can't just say, you know, oh, I want to look at this just because I feel like looking at this for the next 10 years. It doesn't work like that anymore. It kind of feels like that's kind of maybe the big problem with research science in the sense that if you have somebody with an interest in what you're doing, uh, unless it's actually government, which kind of is like, all right, here's some money. Somebody has an invested interest in you giving them back something. Yeah. It's kind of the, I think, what university did it? Uh, I'm not going to get the analogy correct, but there's a university that a professor refused to do it, refused to do what the company was investing for, and uh, she got fired from the university because the, the company has such such a pull in that. I'll, I'll research that, put that in the notes, put that in, in, the, uh, in the notes at the end, in the housekeeping uh, for that. Um, so you're here in Toronto. Where are you from? You're from Nipawa. I am from a, yeah, I'm from Manitoba. I'm from Nipawa. <laughs> uh, I actually grew up in a town of about 50 people. Um, uh, okay, what what is then, that Then like? I moved to a bigger town of 100 people. <laughs> it's actually, I don't know if you know, I, I, I'm from a country, and I, 
uh, sorry, I'm, I'm a country boy, and uh, I don't know if you know who Paul Brandt is. Of course I know Paul Brandt. But um, he's got a, a, a song, Brown? He's got a song called Alberta Bound, and he talks about a wheat field for a downtown kind of place. The town I came from, actually, literally across the street from me, there was a, it was a wheat field. So I'm from as small a town as you can. But, uh, no, I grew, up in, uh, I grew up in Manitoba a little bit, grew up in B.C., uh, in the interior, I came out to Toronto for uh, my undergrad, and uh, and then I went back to Winnipeg to do my to do my MD and my PhD. So, what was that like growing up in a town of fifty or hundred people? Like, what's it was literally what's there to do? It was awesome. You you literally make things to do. You know, like you you go down to the creek, you climb on the barn. You uh, it's it was fun. Like, think of all the cool things you did when you were a kid, right? It's like you have a giant farm. It's like a giant playpen, you know. And did um. Uh, did you? Because uh, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to bring this about the conversation we had earlier, kind yeah. of about like yeah. free range parenting. Yeah, it kind of feels like if you guys that had free range, you guys could do whatever you want. Because you, you have two other you have two older brothers, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like uh, you know, like I, when I was like three or four years old, I was like climbing on the roof of my barn. Um, <laughs> I once I once drove my tractor, uh, my little play tractor. I drove it off my my kitchen table and split my lip open. Um, yeah, we could just pretty much do whatever we wanted. It was great. What kind of farm was it? And I turned out all right. Uh, my dad used to like wheat, wheat, and uh, gra- uh, we had cows, and we were, we were pretty much everything. He had a giant silo. Giant silo, yeah, yeah. Farm <laughs> animals. We used to have a horse called Salt and Pepper. The whole, the whole nine yards. Did you do all? The, did you do lots of like yard work? No, yeah, no, I mean I was pretty young. Um, I was pretty young when we left the farm, so, so I, I remember it, but. Uh, I, I was never like a farm boy. Like I never like you know actually combined or actually whatever. No, none of that stuff. Most people don't know what combines are, but uh, it's a giant tractor machine. It's a, it's a yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That's um, the closest I know. But yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a bit of a city boy at heart now. So when, when I came to Toronto, I became a Toronto snob, and it, it that, that was the end of it. Yeah, that was the end of it. So uh, I mean, I know that both your brothers are pretty successful. They're both yeah. professionals. Yeah. Uh, you're on your way to becoming a very successful person and professional. Um, was there something you think in your childhood that kind of led to that? Do you think it was kind of the farm lifestyle? Do you think that it was that work ethic of your parents? Do you, like, where do you think that may come from? I think it definitely come. I don't know. I mean, I get my brains from somebody. Um, <laughs> where, you know, I've been told I'm I'm fairly intelligent. Um, not to sound no. Uh, okay, I'll say it for you. You're you a smart dude. Um, but uh, I think my worth ethic definitely comes from from my from my parents. You know, my probably from my dad. My dad was a hard worker. Uh, my mom raised me. You know, my dad passed away. My mom raised me by herself um, and my brothers. Um, so I think I got it from there. You know, we were never like given anything or anything like that. You know, we grew up pretty poor and we had to work for everything. So. And did, did one brother kind of follow after the other? It was like, oh, I want did to one what? Did one brother kind of follow after each other? Where it's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, optometry school. Do you want to come with me? I don't think so. No, I think we kind of did our own thing. I mean, I, I get along better with my middle brother, so me and him kind of do our thing more than my older brother. But uh, I don't know. I, I've never really thought of that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think you go back? I mean, right now you're you're back in Winnipeg. You're at school there. Yeah. Um, you obviously have a love for Toronto and the big city, but also kind of love the West. Is is small town thing because some some programs that you want to go to or maybe you might want to go to in rural areas have a rate of return where you have to if you if you can get a bit of money from the government yeah, if you want to go to a rural place yeah. yeah would you do that would you think you go want to go to a big city center where's your heart feeling like you're at um I mean I I don't think I'm going to go to a rural area I don't know if I'm going to stay in Manitoba or not um you know I've been there for in Winnipeg for ten years now. Um, you know, I love the city. Winnipeg gets a bad rap, um, especially people in Ontario, because, you know, it's kind of like people are like, oh, you live in Winnipeg. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, it is cold. You know, it's it's cold as shit there. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, in the winter. Um, 
But uh, I think, you know, I've had my time there. I've enjoyed it. I would like to either come back out to Toronto or, you know, maybe go to Hamilton or, or maybe even back to the West Coast. I don't know. It'll depend on the program I go to. And, you know, I want to do – I'm probably going to do plastic surgery. Um, it's pretty tough to be a plastic surgeon in – A rural area. You know, a rural area. Yeah. No, and nobody – Just all lip-splitting accidents yeah, you're no going to up. <laughs> no one's going to give you a job if you're a plastic surgeon in a, in a rural area. Um, so that's kind of out of the question a little bit, especially if I want to do research and stuff like that or or kind of do the business side. You know, I'm interested in, like, the, the, the business entrepreneurial side of things. So Sure. You thought about the hate of Winnipeg. I've never been to Winnipeg. I've made jokes about Winnipeg, not knowing much about Winnipeg. Yeah. Did you know that it's the most the most racist city in Canada? <laughs> so, so that was so coming you, from a person from Toronto. You uh, you bring that up. That was a McLean's article. Yeah, it that, was. that wrote that and like this is the most racist place. I'm not exactly sure how they came to that conclusion. It was. Um, yeah. you guys and like a lot of places in Canada have a problem and have a kind of a discourse with the First Nations people of yeah. Manitoba. Like that's yeah. well documented. It's yeah. like saying. It's like saying Quebec. Quebec got a Quebec had the same thing. They said Quebec is the most corrupt province, and Quebec was like, "We are not corrupt." And then it was like, "Yeah, motherfucker, yeah, you are. You're the you're the worst. You're the most. <laughs> you lost like three of your mayors had to had to like bow out after like row after row after row because of because uh, of collusion and like dirty dealings with the mob. Like that's that's what happened to your to your city. Do you feel Winnipeg's a little racist? I yeah. I mean, I, I do. I mean, we, you know, living there and, you know, I, obviously, I, you know, I'm, I'm from a middle class, lower class, um, but, you know, like I'm a fairly affluent white person in Winnipeg, you know, I don't. And uh, I, I would say it is, you know, like, especially, I, I don't know if it's outwardly, outwardly racist, but uh, I, I agreed with some of the things that were written in that article and, yeah. I, agree, and I disagreed with a lot of them. But I, uh, Maybe the big thing is you. There's no real test for racism. Yeah. Like, how do, how do you quantify I that? I don't know how they came to that. You know, I think I think everywhere, de- you know, deals with it. I don't know if we're overly more racist than any, you know, anyone in Toronto or something like that. So I have, I don't know. It's a, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting thing to say. Be like, you're the most. You can't like quantify that. Yeah. You know? like, What's the way to say? The way they did quantify it was like I forget what it was. It was like the number, like using like tweets and stuff. But ah, uh, yeah, that'd be a weird kind of way of doing it. It was, it was, you know. Grabbing at straws at best, but uh, no, I I like Winnipeg. Honestly, the people there they're great. Um, it's got a great food culture. Like you know, we got a lot of really good restaurants. You know, everyone's it's not a, not a ton to do there, but uh, it's it's a good little place and it's cheap. Man, if you want to like, if you literally spend a million dollars on a house, it is like you'll have the nicest house in Winnipeg. Like legit. <laughs> you go down to Toronto, you get like a two bedroom like piece of shit. So hey, but you know what? You guys have kind of bounced back since you guys got the Jets. Yeah. That that place has come alive again. You guys are be- now Quebec City's applying for uh yeah. for an NHL yeah. team. Yeah. So that'd be kind of the Pro- next big Probably mecca. the best thing to happen to Winnipeg and well, since we lost the Jets, was getting them back. <laughs> Seriously, the, the gentrification going downtown. Um, you know, there's new restaurants opening up there, there's a lot of development downtown, they're cleaning up the downtown. It's it's great. The Jets have brought a lot of life back into the city. And, and it gives you something to do. Like what, 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 there's nothing to do there. I mean, there's a lot to do there in the winter, but when it's like minus fifty, man, like you don't want to go outside. So oh, definitely like, not. You go to the Jets game. Even though most people like don't get the opportunity to go to the Jets game because why is that the tickets just sold like all the tick all the season tickets sold out in like three and a half minutes. Like there's people on waiting lists, so it's it's hard to get tickets, but you can get them from people you know, but yeah. you can't just like buy a Jets ticket. And, like, you know, oh, so they're complete. It's like the Leafs; they're completely, completely sold, sold out for year and for year after year. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get a ticket from someone that has season tickets. Now, do you have season tickets? I do. I split it with a bunch of people. Okay, and then do you get to pick your games? 
Uh, yeah, we have like a uh, what's it called? Like a draw or a, like a not a lottery, but yeah, we we pick our games. You know, we go in order kind of thing. And is there any matchups that you really love? Uh, I don't know. I usually like so like I know this is bad to say they're getting better, but I used to like pick like the shitty teams. Because, like, I knew that the Jets were kind of shitty. So, I, like, I was hoping that it might be, like, a fair game versus, yeah. you know, playing, like, Chicago or something. But uh, I usually just go to, like, whatever teams I like now. Like, you know, like, I love seeing the Chicago play. I love seeing the Canadians team play. You know, I like, like seeing the, the Maple Leafs or, like, the Senators. Um, because usually they just kind of, like, play up to the level of the team they're playing with, right? Like, you know, like, back in, like, two or three years ago, they were playing Boston. Boston was, like, undefeated in, like, 10 or 11 games, and the Jets beat them. You know, it was, like... It's pretty exciting. It's it's kind of the draw of having a team that's not that good, where, like, you your expectations, well, really aren't that high. And yeah. You, and when you win, you, it's, a, it's a big win. Yeah, and we went to the playoffs this year. Uh, I went to the first game ever in, in, in Winnipeg since they left, um, which was crazy. Like, I've been to a Leafs game, and it's like crickets in there. I, I mean, I know I hate to say it, <laughs> Leafs fans, but like it was— How dare you? But it was like the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. People were just losing their shit. And then I actually went to the first playoffs game, and it was super loud. Um, it was it was crazy. You couldn't even hear yourself thinking. That's cool. So it's a good little. It's a really. It's a great atmosphere. It's a small arena, and people just love love the Jets. Like, um, my favorite Jets related fact is that after the first few games at the new MLS or MTS Arena, they uh, they had like a petition to get trot style pissing for the guys. <laughs> so because so because the urinals were taking too long, and, and they wanted and to bring it back. Yeah. No. It, so it wasn't because it was, it was the old the old arena the old arena down. Uh, uh, in Winnipeg used to have troughs. And so there was always two chants you would hear in Winnipeg. It was bring back the Jets and bring back the trough. But usually it was like, you know, like those dumb kind of drunken idiots up on like, the, you know, the nosebleeds that are chanting like, you know, nobody actually wanted the troughs back except for like the drunken idiots. Oh, I thought it was like a thing because it was taking too long to process people through. No, it was just they wanted it back because it was like in the old arena. A thing. And people are, yeah. Oh, that's not nearly the sound of a story. No. Oh, I kind of no. regret saying, I'm going to edit that out. Yeah, no, that's that's not very good. Right <laughs> get your um, get your facts right. Away. I think I I yeah. will I will. Um, that is that's our. I think that's twenty minutes. That's Ryan? twenty minutes. That's I know 20 we minutes. we start we started talking about cancer and uh, and my research, and then we got to the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> yeah, so. and that's how we. That's never off topic. Yeah, that's what it's it is. Never off topic. I when, know. It, when you think about a real conversation, there's no it doesn't have there doesn't have to be direction. If I just want to get some information out of you, I just got to ask it. That's true, and it just flows. I will. Uh, I'll come back another time and, and and tell you about the giant waste of money that a lot of the research is. But uh, we're out of time, so. Ah, damn. I know you'll I, you'll have to I feel, hold on. I feel like that's so interesting. It is I, very interesting. Okay. It's, uh, I could talk about I could talk about cancer forever. And, well, wait, uh, hold on. You know but, what? You know what? Uh, Fuck it. Let's keep going. Yeah, I want to hear about this waste of money. All right, no, I wouldn't say waste of money, but um, I mean everything in research is extremely expensive, right? So let's say let's say I want an antibody. So an antibody is just something that can mark like a molecule, and so it's extremely expensive to make that, right? So let's say you know I'll buy a milliliter, you know, like literally a milliliter, and you know it'll be like a thousand, two thousand dollars. I'll buy media, right? which is like something I grow my cells in. And, you know, that'll be like something that'll last me, you know, two or three days. And it's like $200 a bottle, right? So everything is extremely expensive in, in research, which, which is just kind of the cost of, you know, it's just kind of the way things are, right? It's like healthcare. Healthcare is extremely expensive, right? Everything costs more for whatever reason. I shouldn't say a giant waste of money. That's a terrible way to put it. Sure. But for, for such a long time, you know, it was just people were just kind of doing their own thing. And, you know, like the research really wasn't, you know, we weren't finding anything out, you know, like we were finding a ton of facts out. But it, 
the question came, you know, so I do, I, do, I do cancer research and the new thing nowadays is genomic research. So, um, you know, we look at the genomics of these cancers and we can get a better idea of where they come from and what pathways, so what pathways are dysregulated in them, what causes these cancers, et cetera. But then, you know, you spend millions and millions of dollars on this, but then you have this data, you know, you have computers and computers and there's tons of data. But then it's like, then you, then you have to ask the question, well, what do we do with all this data, right? You know, like, how do I actually take this data, take this pathways and actually use it to make the, the clinical outcome better for someone? And there's this, this massive gap in between. And we have no, we, you know, we don't have a great idea of how to really take all this data and actually make it clinically available or make it make sense. So that, that's kind of the biggest issue right now is just taking all this new stuff that we have and actually applying it to these cancers. So you know, people usually talk about cancer and the fact that, you know, people want to cure cancer. You can't cure cancer. Cancer isn't one disease, right? So let's, I'll give you an example. I, I do medulloblastoma research. Medulloblastoma is a pediatric brain, uh, one type of pediatric brain cancer, okay? There's, there's many. There's yeah. four or five types. And within medulloblastoma, there is four subtypes. And within those subtypes, there's further subtypes. And each, even though it's medulla, but even though it's one type of cancer, each one of those subtypes has to be treated theoretically different because they're different diseases. They have different genetics that that drive them, and they have different genetics that allow them to be resistant to the treatments that we use now. So you can't just, you know, you, you always hear like, you know, like I always go to these dinners with like, you know, whoever, and they're like, oh, you know, I think they have a cure for cancer. I think it's locked in a box somewhere, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like, man, like there's, there's no such thing. Like each one of these is like a disease. That's like saying, you know, I'm going to cure, you know, I think I can cure leukemia with like, you know, asthma drugs. You know, it's like it's just not the same thing, not the same disease. I kind of went off topic there with the, the waste of money, but I think I covered that. Um, <laughs> no, that's good. So, and so we can it's, get... a, it's a compl- it's, it's super complex, and that's why we don't don't make a lot of lot of headway in our in our research because it's so complex. And I think just I mean two other questions here. Maybe yeah. why is it so expensive? Is there any way, is there any way we think we can drive costs down? And then um, I'll get to the second question in a bit. But is there a way that you think we'd ever drive costs down? Because I mean, a milliliter like I'm thinking about a milliliter of an antibody that sounds like something so small, but the process going into the R&D going into it is super yep. expensive. Yep. It, would competition help? Or is it, what if what if we had government-funded places that, is, is it because it's a private-public thing? Is there a reason why it's so expensive? So the majority of research in Canada is paid for by the government. Okay. Since we've had a new government, research funding has been cut, like, astronomically. Like, my, my MD-PhD program is um, is funded by CIHR, which is one of the one of the big funding uh, resources in Canada for research, uh, they actually just cut funding to our program, to our MD-PhD program. So now everyone's kind of scrambling to figure out how they're going to keep their programs running. But so a lot of it's paid for by the government. And it, I mean, there is competition though, right? So so all the research technology, all the everything you use to do research is all private companies. Um, so there is competition out there, you know, like you got... You know, you got you got ten or twenty people that make the same thing. So there is some sort of. It's just that it's there's so much R and D that goes into it. Yeah. And you know, it's got to be it's got to be high grade. You know, they have to make sure that their product is is what they say it is, and uh, and that just drives the cost up. I don't think there's a good way to drive cost down. I think you just have to be more efficient at the research that you do, not at the okay. cost of it. 
Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I want a cheap jet plane. No, I kind of want a jet plane to be like well made exactly. and, and yeah. well manufactured. And it's only one way to do that with like high quality products. Yeah, in a way. You, you need to know what's in your product, right? Or else you know you can just you can do something and it'll tell you something, and it's like oh crap, you know, it's like there was bleach in there. No wonder all my cells died. You know, like <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> um, I another question is like how much you think of research is self serving. Because so much of what I hear about medicine and a lot of these things is I got to get a journal published. I got to get an article yeah. in. I got to have my name on it. And my first build on the article, all these things go into partially how, like what stream you want to go into, what field you want to go into. And literally so much of it just seems self-serving. It seems like I'm just doing this to get a name on a paper so I can further my own career. Yep. Where it seems less collaborative or the way, I mean, I have this, I have this utopian feel like i wish everyone would work together and oh absolutely and, and, and do everything else but no it doesn't seem that way it's, it's very it's a very competitive field and for sure you know if you're a newer if you're a new researcher a junior researcher you can do the same work that someone who's well established in the field will and and not get published so i don't know people, people that aren't familiar with it you know the different journals have different impact factors and higher impact factor journals mean more basically so it's harder to get into them but people that are less well-known in the field, you know, they have a harder time publishing in that. And in order to advance your career in research, you have to publish. And it really is. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a very political game. You know? It's, you know, it's getting harder and harder to publish in the better journals. And you have to do more and more research. And you, know, you, know, you might get a, a, a journal back and you know, they might be like, oh, you have to do this and this and this. And it's like, okay, well, you know, like, this isn't really going to tell me much. But you, just, you have to do it because you know, whoever is reading your article is like, okay, you have to do this to publish it. So it, you know, it might be just a giant waste of money, but they think it's important, right? So it is a very broken system. The, the, the publishing is a very broken system because it is very political. Um, it is really much of a game. Um, and it can be very self-serving in that in order to advance your career, you need to get publications. And in order to do that, you need to spend money. And that's the problem is that a lot of these researchers, if you can't get published, you don't get – your career doesn't go anywhere. But you need money. Then you don't get money. But you need money to go somewhere, right? Yeah. So it's like this weird <laughs> kind of like, oh, crap. You either got to make it big or you're just kind of um, – so it is a very a – very, it can be a very self-serving kind of like – industry it can be frustrating too you know it, it gets along people are trying to change that with like open access journal stuff like that you yeah. know like um the internet's been changing that a lot and there's been a lot of new journals open access journals that have been popping up to trying to kind of get away from that but then you got to be careful right because then you know you can't just publish whatever right because then it's you know people can just publish crap and it can be not true and it's like uh yeah, so it's kind of like you need those reputable sources because the reason they're reputable is because they're so rigorous with what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. If you want, if you publish to someone that's open, you may not have that same rigorous testing. Same rigorous, yeah. 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 Most of them have the rigor. Um, you know, it has to be peer-reviewed or whatever. Yeah. If you want to publish in Nature, which is probably the most prestigious publication in, in basic science, you know, you pretty much have to cure some sort of cancer to publish <laughs> in it, you know? And it's like millions and millions of dollars yeah. to do this. You know, some people... Three, four, five years of work just for one journal article. And you have to hope that that is and accepted. Gotta, and, and you got to hope that anyone gives a shit five years down the road, you know? It's like, oh, crap. Like, maybe this, no, one get, no one cares anymore, you know? Damn. But, no, it's, it's good. So in conclusion, in it, conclusion ta- it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of money. You hope you're doing a very small thing of a very small thing of a very small thing to try and learn more on, on that. Yeah. Sometimes that information isn't applicable to other things. Yeah. You need money to – you need to hopefully get those things published so people can read it. And that may not always happen. It may not 
it may not come to fruition. Exactly. Yeah, you could spend three or four years of your life, and it could just could be nothing. And you've been doing this for three years now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been doing this for three years now. Yeah, actually, I just got one of my papers published today, actually. Oh, congratulations, buddy. Yeah, but... Uh, no, I mean, there's definitely hope out there. You know what I mean? Like it's the, like I said, you have your you have your moments where you're like, holy crap, you know, this could actually make a difference. Then you have your moments that you know it's like, ah, oh, this can't. So, um, it, there's definitely there's a ton a ton of really smart people out there doing a ton of really great research. And some of the shit they do, man, you're just holy crap. How did you think of that? How did they do that? So there's some really really impressive stuff going on. So there's there's definitely it's not all gloom and doom. It's uh. You know, there's a lot of like my boss, man. She's like the most optimistic person in the world. Like she, she keeps me going because you know, every time I go to her, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. She's like, No, no, no. Like I swear to God, you know, that's good. Well, that's good. Do you feel like you are having some sort of impact on the world? Oh yeah, I okay. think so. I think some of the stuff that we've we've done will will definitely go somewhere. It's just I don't know where. Sweet. Yeah. Dope, man. Thanks. Yeah. I've- no, thank you. This is actually the first time I've ever been recorded on really anything other than like. Like when I was a kid and I had like a squawk box, you know, I think this is like the only time I've ever recorded <laughs> or, or, or my Or the voice. Home Alone talk back or talk boy. What was that thing called? Was it talk boy? The talk boy. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever, whatever Macaulay Culkin had in Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have the squawk box where you could change your voice, you know? Like, yeah. Or yak back? Was yak that, back. Yeah, yak yeah. back. No, squawk box is the television show. Yak back. Yeah. <laughs> squawk yak box is the television show. Oh, uh, we need somebody to bring back the yak back or. I probably would have it on my cell phone. The, Tamag- it's probably, it's probably, the Tamagotchi, I feel like we need to bring back. Yeah. To the- <laughs> I, bet, I bet you all those things could exist on your cell phone if you wanted to. Let's just too. bring the 90s back get rid of our cell phones. <laughs> I cell love phones it. The worst. Uh, we need a song for the rest of the day. Who's a, who's a band that I saw recently? Well, you were just at... Uh, you were just at Way Home, the Way, Way Home Festival. Home, yeah. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed uh, Vance Joy. So you know what? Vance Joy's big song was Riptide. Listen to any song that's not that. And you'll still be in love with them because, you know what? I lied. We don't, we'll do this one. We'll listen to Hosier uh, from Eden. Like That song is uh, probably my new favorite track. I listen to it while, I, um, while I'm in the shower. Yeah, I listen to it all the time. Let's just go with that. I, I don't know if I've ever heard it. It's a good song. I like the, I like the church song, but I think everyone likes that <laughs> Amen. <song>. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing with Hosier and, and Vance Joy. Those two songs kind of feel like the anomalies on the album. Those aren't, those aren't really indicative of what... The actual album sounds like it's yeah the albums are like hosier it's a really almost like almost a bit of a funk to it like he has a really good sound and van's joy is like a folk album hmm. so oh maybe i'll listen to it on my way back to manitoba all right beautiful yeah, if i go back thanks for coming in buddy i uh, no problem it's a pleasure hey.